Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. All right, welcome back, y'all. It is Wednesday. Hope your week is going well. We got a great show planned for you. Later in the show, we got Rebecca Ashita joining us for some couples therapy. And uh, we're going to be talking about trauma and also levels of risk around the pandemic because there is still a pandemic going, although a lot of people want to believe it's all over. And whether the cities are opening up or the stores around you, that doesn't mean that all is well. You still need to check in with yourself and decide the levels of risk you want to take. So we're going to be talking about that. Let's talk about some news. Obama, God bless him, love this man. He urges young people to keep up their protests to bring change. Yeah, that's a lot of the things I'm hearing from some individuals is, is this just going to blow over? Are people going to go really strong right now and then forget and back off of the need to change? This is, this is interesting because never in my lifetime have I seen a movement that was so powerful and centered for as long as it has already. And I hope that it continues so that we can see all these waves of change happening now. I'm seeing it happening. I'm seeing discussions that I am so, so uh, warm hearted and soothed to hear. People are finally getting real. I love seeing all the allies. I love seeing people buying the books around racism and reading and educating. As I've said, being out on the streets, it is stunning to see the diverse groups of people that are out there protesting, people that are gay, people that are white. It is beautiful. People are taking this seriously. Um, so I'm hoping that this really has depth and longevity and that it creates the need to change. I believe it. I'm seeing the mayor take responsibility and the governor. Look, they're not perfect yet, uh, but I'm hearing them lean in and take responsibility. Other world leaders as well. Like, well done. You are leaning in. You are listening. You're holding each other accountable. Steps are happening. It might not be as fast as we wanted, but it's faster than it's been. And so I'm sitting here, you know, not not holding my breath, but not letting go either. Just kind of curiously watching to see what happens. But again, Obama, bam, he said this last week uh, at a town hall event. And this is great. He was talking about civil unrest and George Floyd. And he basically said, you know, let's keep this thing going. All right, we're back. And, uh, you know, there's still a pandemic happening. <laughs> I know it's uh, people are forgetting that. And it's important to be reminded of that things are opening slowly. Some states actually, I think the doors have like swung open here in LA. It's slow move. A lot of places are still boarded up for protection. So there's no possibility of them being open. Even their main doors are like on full lockdown. Other places are allowing some separated seating outdoors and inside. I haven't ventured out. I'm not a hundred percent ready to 
fully immerse myself back in. I need, I need to see some, I need to see what the precautions are, to be honest. I also need to see what kind of rates, what the rates of infection are. Um, I mean, you gotta get back to the gym though. I, I love working out, uh, body positive as hell. I go in there and I'm like, what does my body need? But I'm telling you, I love lifting heavy weights. It's something I started doing in high school. I miss exercise. I've been trying to do it at home and out in the streets, not working for me. I miss going into a gym, leaving my space. That's part of it. Just like leaving my space. I think that's part of why a lot of people aren't finding the joy in some things they found joyous prior to all of this, the shelter in place, or they're just not able to get their groove going because it's hard to be in the space you're in all day long and then also fold in these activities like a home workout or baking and somehow not have that associated with the flatness and boredom or anxiety or depression of being home and why we're home, right? So it's all woven in there. So that's why for me doing a home workout, I'm like, I'm still home and I'm like bouncing off these walls needing to get out of here. So I personally, one of the things I miss the most is the gym. Um, it's very toxic in a lot of ways, the gym. It also can be a beautifully healthy place for some. And I teeter and I get in there and I like throwing around heavyweights. I put on my music and I zone out. I don't even like see anyone. No contacts are in, no glasses are on. And uh, I'm just rocking out, throwing around heavy weights. And it just feels really good to move my body in that way. And also exercise is good for bone density and health. Um, I also have some health factors in my family that require me to really get heart health. So I hit that cardio pretty hard too for my heart, which trust me, I don't want to do, but I have to do. <laughs> um, all right. So having said that, let's talk about ways to stay safe as things are opening up. So now remember, just because things are open doesn't mean it's necessarily safe. So the doctors right now are looking at five factors when considering the risk of an activity, because that's what this is about right now. What level of risk are you willing to take? Because nothing is a hundred percent, absolutely nothing. Cause we're talking about others and we're dependent and relying upon the safety or risks that those around us are taking. Right? So the main things that we have to look at are whether something's inside or outside outside's always safer right? Because it's open, not contained, not recycling air or anything. Uh, proximity to others. How close are you to others? How far apart can you get? Exposure time, shorter time around people, places, and things is better than longer periods. And uh, likelihood of compliance. Uh, how, how likely is it that those there with you and around you have also been compliant? And also personal risk level. What risk are you willing to take? And also we should throw in there your own personal health history, right? Because some people are a higher risk based on health history. So again, it's inside or outside, proximity to others, exposure time, likelihood of compliance about those around you, and also personal risk level, which is, I believe, rooted in your own health history. So again, outdoor activities are the safest because the virus is less concentrated outside and it's not recycled, which is why there's an issue with the airplanes and the movie theaters because it's inside something around others and it's for long periods of time. <laughs> and if they're traveling or at the movies, they might be non-compliant in other ways. It might be one of those people that's just out there doing everything. So that's a mess, right? So activities like um, activities that prevent social distancing, like concerts and all that, that's really going to be a high risk. Um, that's why if you're going for a walk with yourself or one other person, wearing masks six feet apart outside for a hike is ideal. But again, there's, there, we're going to look at some of the scores. So bars are a risk level nine. They're the highest risk. Why? Indoors, crowds of people, long period of time. And anyone going into a crowded bar comfortably is probably not compliant otherwise. Um, and also when you're drinking, your guard drops. You're going to lean in, touch people, maybe share a drink. 
It's a risk. Large music concerts, same level of risk. Sports stadium, same. Gyms are at an eight. So we drop down a little bit. But huffing and puffing, singing, you're indoors, you are around people, you're touching a lot of surfaces. Um, they're saying don't do any fitness classes. They're saying single use workouts the best. I get it. Avoid fitness class. Sweat, close spaces around other bodies. We're huffing, we're puffing. Aerosols are all over the place. Contained. You know, it's not outdoors. I would be more willing to do a class if it was outdoor and we were separated, like spin classes outside and all that. Rooftop yoga. That I'm down for. Six feet apart. Your own your own mat. Bam. Amusement parks, level eight. Eh. Churches are level eight. That's still pretty high. Same reason. Indoors, crowds of people. You're close to them. Um, buffets. I can't. I can't even get into that one. Public pools are only a seven because tons of chlorine. So it's not about the water. It's about the closeness, the conversation. Schools are a seven. Same reason. We're indoors. We're around people. We're not able to get up and move around. Um, restaurants are about a six if they're sitting outside. And again, that's because we're not sharing air. Um, getting down there, barbershops are a six because again, you're close to them. Movie theaters are a six. Airplanes are a five. Um, because I think that's it. They said airlines are getting a lot of pressure. So they're taking high protocols. A beach is a five. And then we're getting down there. We're getting down there. Offices are a four. Hotels are only a three. That's interesting to me. And I think that's because of their, you know, they're willing to clean things. Basically though, risk level ones are getting takeout from a restaurant. And again, like I said, anything else and all those other factors, we got to be smart y'all, but it's about the levels of risk you're willing to take. And the levels of risk you're willing to put those that are around you often at risk. So think about it. All right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, time to talk about some trauma. It's a word we're hearing more about, and I'm glad we're starting to realize there's a lot of these studies. One of them's through Kaiser, one of the larger mental health systems in LA. A lot of us have Kaiser insurance. And they did a study looking at early child adverse childhood events, ACEs, adverse childhood events. And they're looking at how certain events in child's lives, aka the level of trauma they've had or how many traumas they've had, how directly correlated certain mental health issues will be that having had one trauma versus three increases your risk for addiction, psychosis, other mental health issues. So it's basically looking at also in, in inverse saying that most of our quote unquote mental health struggles and issues are a result of trauma. And we need to do more trauma work and that a lot of people in, you know, AA need to do some trauma work. A lot of people that are suffering with other issues go to the root of the possible trauma. Now, why is that relevant to today right now? Well, A, because that's all around us, but but larger than that is because we're looking at the uptick in trauma due to shelter in place and COVID and things related to that. And as we should, uh, what's really fascinating are the things that really help us to thrive and be the most resilient with our mental health. Uh, are the things that are hardest to engage and have access to during COVID. There's a direct correlation. And so those are also the things we need to do to try to be preventative. The first one's always going to be, as we've said to nauseam, is, is staying connected. That We are social beings and healthy relationships are like a vitamin for our neurology and our biology. When we are stressed out and anxious, the presence of healthy others that we feel safe with helps reduce that, their inherent presence before they've done anything. Then if we're able to talk to them and be around them and be touched by them, it's higher level of what we call co-regulation. Um, we want someone to that we feel safe and close with, put their arm around us, hold our hand, hold us, touch us, look at us, be there for us. So social connection. And again, constantly staying connected can prevent us from getting to a place of such deep level of stress. It can be, again, 
preventative. It's not just curative. It's not just maintenance. So that's why we're staying connected. Also, again, looking at your coping mechanisms and your self-care. Am I engaging in things that keep me stabilized? So when these things, when these events happen, I'm already encountering and dealing with them from a place of feeling stable and good, or am I using coping mechanisms that aren't rooted in self-care that leave me feeling worse off and depleted, more tired, hungover, not like well-fed. I haven't been moving my body, so I don't feel good in my body. Then these other things happen and we're not grounded enough to deal with them and it amplifies everything. We've just been feeling chaotic already as it was. And then these events happen. So it doesn't really give us a great starting place from which these things happen, but it also doesn't have us connected or really able to utilize the tools to get through because the same things that make us feel good and grounded are the same tools we need and the same things that are going to reduce how how we are impacted by those traumas. And so staying connected, having some kind of movement exercise program in place, eating healthy foods, staying hydrated, getting enough sleep. And also though, taking time to work on your mental health, which is those factors, but it also means to take time to be contemplative, to journal, to meditate, to think, read books that challenge us and stimulate us, read really positive books rooted in self-help. Um, we need to do that work because outside of that, the culture is constantly pulling us towards the problematic things. Like we were talking on our other segment, um, our other episode about alcohol use. Our culture is saying, ah, I had a rough day, drink. Need to celebrate something, drink. Well, we need to access resources that are saying, maybe don't drink. <laughs> maybe feel your feelings. Maybe have your friends over without the booze. Uh, maybe find other coping mechanisms that, that maybe won't leave you feeling so bad the next day, right? So we need to find better influences that are constantly supporting things that are pro-mental health. And so that's the difficult work, but that's how we're going to prevent some of these traumas from happening. So that's meaningful. All right, we're back and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. All right, our DMs, they come from our Loveline IG page. So slide on into the DMs over there and send us your messages. Uh, sometimes you can send them to me at Dr. Donahue on my IG and um, I do my best to get around to them. It doesn't always happen, but send them definitely to the Loveline IG page. And uh, that is where these questions come from. All right, let's leave, read tonight's. It says, I'm in an interracial relationship. My partner is black. I noticed that lately he's been wanting to talk more to his friends about what's going on right now, more than talking with me. And I feel pushed out. Help me find the right words to open up the dialogue. Um, I think it's less about you finding the words open up the dialogue and you more listen to what's being communicated. This, this friend, uh, this friend of yours, <laughs> your boyfriend wants to go to his friends. That's been at least behaviorally established. I don't know if that's something that's verbally been said, but you feel pushed out, but don't make it about you, right? Right now, there's a lot going on. And for someone who's black or of color, they are going to understandably want to talk to others that are going through the same thing. This isn't about you. This isn't for you. And I think that that's how you lovingly support your black partner at a time like this, especially and specifically. Um, he wants to talk to his friends about being black in our country and in this moment and in our culture. And, and it's not necessarily about you or for you. And this is also just a really beautiful moment when you're reminded that in a relationship, whether it's just dating or uh, marriage, people are going to have aspects of themselves that they share with others that aren't always us. Everything doesn't have to include our partner. It is okay that your, your boyfriend goes to his black friends to talk about things that are going on in his life that are related to being a black man in our culture. And, and I want there to be allowability for that. 
Um, and so I would say you have to go back into knowing and trusting that this is your partner and that you love each other and all's well. Um, I, again, I think that there's space uh, at another time to maybe share, um, maybe they felt pushed out, but again, it's, I don't want it to be centered in that. It's not about that. That shouldn't be the focus of all this. It should be, how can I be there for my partner as a white person and, and being a good ally? Because dating someone who's black doesn't inherently mean you're an ally. Allies about how you show up in the work you do at being anti-racist. And so you aren't doing that very successfully. If you're saying, hey, you're going to your black friends. I'm feeling left out. Can we make this about me feeling left out? You are being left out and it's okay that you're left out. You know, that's going to happen sometimes. And most importantly, this is about centering your black partner's situation and experiences and thoughts and feelings. And so I almost don't want you to bring it up to him. I almost don't want you to ever make it about you in that way. Um, I would say, if anything, work on getting to a place where you are very understanding and supportive of this relationship he's having right now with his friends and let him know how glad you are that he has them to go to because you are not black and you couldn't understand. But you can communicate. I'm always here if there's ever anything you do want to share a process with me. But again, don't make it about you. Um, make it about him and what he needs right now and work on being a better ally and and being less, I don't know, held hostage by the idea of how you think a relationship has to run, you know? So anyway, that's a really good question. I actually really think there's a lot of uh, juice in that one. All right, Sliding Into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q. We're back and it's Wednesday night, so we're doing a little couples therapy. So, of course, we've got licensed therapist Rebecca Sheeta with us. What's going on, Rebecca? Not much. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to... It's, it's so fascinating how some of the things that used to be comfortable at home aren't comfortable anymore because I'm always home. And so doing <laughs> anything else at home, like I was trying to do a home workout. I was also trying to cook. And I'm like looking around, I'm like, I need to get out of these four walls. Are you getting itchy? Yeah, you know, I am. I'm trying to take like daily walks. I literally just saw a birthday party though with people just crowded and no one was wearing a mask. And I just don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it stresses me out because I'm, I'm being very cautious. I, I've had some friends, um, not, not very close, but acquaintances, pass two of them pass away from it oh no and yeah yeah and and it's serious and so i know like i want to go back to my office as soon as possible so i can see my clients in real time i want to go back to the gym and so i'm taking it all very seriously because i want to be able to comfortably return to my life but i'm not ready right right absolutely i mean i feel like it's it's you know it's dangerous and i think the protests are fantastic i just worry about the covid numbers i you know i think that people it's hard to say socially it's it's hard to physically distance in the protests during the protests i've been to one so i know it's difficult yeah and some of the numbers coming in they're saying that because of how long it takes before you become symptomatic that all the numbers right now that are spiking are due to reopening too soon in memorial day weekend they're not exactly exactly yeah yeah Yeah, definitely i I don't know. I know. So wait, so what are what are you telling your family about what they need to wait for before it's safe to go out? I mean, because I'm sure your children are like, can we just have our lives back? So what are you going to... You know, it's, what's really interesting is, you know, my daughter, I think, is probably the most careful. And she, 
you know, she was invited to a trip and she's saying, should I go to this trip? And I'm like, uh, like, so we're discussing that. It's hard because the kids now are, you know, my son graduated and Emily's like, it's end of school year. And so they want to go out and have a good time, but they're, you know, they're really being good about um, the restrictions, which I think is good. Well, that's good. Um, so, so let's talk about um, couples and mental health. My right now of the, of the couples I'm working with, none of them are really struggling right now because of the self-isolation. They're like, they're doing all right. Right. That's really good. Um, I mean, I have some, uh, I have some clients that have been struggling. Uh, um, and sometimes it's because of the way that they maybe have like different ways of dealing with COVID. So some of them are like really extreme with like washing fruit or blanching vegetables before they eat them. And the other ones like, why are we doing that? So like those kind of arguments come up around, around how rigid you're being about what comes into your house. And if you quarantine the mail or the food, um, you know, that kind of stuff I'm hearing. But I think a lot of people are shifting their focus to the bigger issues that are going on in the country right now, like COVID, like um, Black Lives Matter. And that is has become more of the focus. So it, it helps, I think, put certain things in perspective, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. When when a group of people are marching and protesting for their lives, the right. whole trickle-down effect <laughs> is people start to realize what, what real struggle and conflict and oppression exactly. is. Exactly. They maybe let go of those other pieces. But yeah, I'm blessed to be, you know, again, I'm blessed to be self-isolating alone. And so I personally am not having to come in contact with these. So I am a little curious to know what my personality style would be like right now with someone else. I think I'm kind of like a middle of the road person, though, where I'm not hyper obnoxious or sensitive to like, you know, the cleaning, but I'm definitely taking it seriously enough. So I, I don't know what that looked like. But I just was thinking about that this morning about how I thought that maybe we would have more and more conflict with couples. And even though the numbers were showing that there was a lot more domestic violence and divorce, I'm not necessarily seeing that with people in my life or in my practice. So I just mm -hmm. thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm seeing, you know, I work with a lot of narcissistic abuse. So I do have clients that are like having to, you know, go in their car to have a session or, or maybe their partner doesn't even know that they're seeing a therapist because they feel, you know, they feel unsafe if the, if the, you know, their partner were to know. So I'm, I'm having some of those things come up. Um, and the lack of safety is the, the, the narcissistic partner would feel threatened by their partner being in therapy because they might get healthier and set boundaries. Right. Set boundaries or leave, you know, or escape an emotionally abusive situation. Right. So a lot of times it's kind of talking out like a plan because I think you're, if, if things are bad in a relationship and there is uh, emotional abuse, you're going to feel it more now than you would if you're like going to work and being able to get away from that person um, during what the day. What a beautiful red flag that if you're in a relationship yeah. with someone who doesn't support you even having therapy, that clearly there's a conversation needs to be had about the health of that relationship. Right. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little pause and we'll come back. We're going to be doing a little more couples therapy. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're doing couples therapy. So we've got licensed therapist Rebecca Sheeta with us. Um, so we're talking about red flags and we're talking about how just the lack of support or I guess full on support of someone being in therapy right now can tell you a lot. I mean, the clients I'm working with, they're taking walks to do therapy or going in their car, just things like that for general privacy. But everyone's partner is pretty, pretty on board, which is good. 
that comes up yeah, in twelve good. steps. There are some people. There are some people that get sober, and their partners aren't happy with them being out of the house multiple days a week, going to meetings or fellowshipping. <laughs> it's interesting to see the impact on things like that too. Yeah, I mean that is interesting. I mean now, of course, you're doing it like Zoom things, but but that is interesting to you know to see that if you are doing something healthy and you're t- spending time on your sobriety, that's a positive. I mean, you it's time away from your partner, but you're improving and and most likely improving the relationship too. Well, listen to this. I had so that's a lot. That's a lot of disclosure. So I, I'm imagining what you just said. So I'm imagining that I'm home all day with this individual because we're self isolating together and we're in a relationship. And then when I'm going in the other room to do my zoom meetings, I'm imagining the other partner is giving them space and privacy, but depending on how large their home is, maybe they're hearing some of what they're sharing at the meeting, maybe the same thing with some therapy. And I was thinking about how long, long time ago when I was getting my clinical hours to get licensed, my supervisor, her husband would videotape with everyone's acknowledgement would videotape or record. I can't remember which one, probably just audio his therapy sessions, and then would listen to them with his partner, my supervisor, when he got home, because they really were working on this like wild level of like just deep intimacy, transparency. And I oh thought, my gosh, I thought there's so many ways. Yeah. Your face is kind of going right away, which is like, <laughs> I thought it's almost like a form though of toxic monogamy where it's yes, okay to have yeah. boundaries and privacy. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm all for honesty and transparency, but I think that there are some things we should be able to hold on to for ourselves that, especially if they're not, they're not harmful to our partner. Like there's, there's some pieces we want to hold on to not, not secrets per se, but just pieces of who we are or what we share, you know, you want some privacy. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you want to talk about your partner or your relationship. I don't know that everyone, I like, yes. again, it's both like on one hand, I think it's important to let your partner know what it's like to be in a relationship with them and what you might be struggling with. So they have control and power and can weigh in on changes that need to be made and you're giving them a choice. But then on the other hand, I also think there are some things that maybe your partner is not ready or prepared to hear. And that is kind of like a solo yes. struggle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting too, when I'm, I'm working with some couples who are having difficulty with, um, their sex life. And so they're sharing things with me and, you know, then, you know, the husband is like walking in the hallway and walks in the room, you know, it's like, it's not, it's not like the best situation for privacy because uh, some of these things you want to work through on your own and process and figure out some solutions or whatever it is and not necessarily share that with your partner quite yet. So yeah, because it's both. Like sometimes I think one of the most beautiful parts of couples therapy is is being witnessed by someone who you love and are in a relationship with as you're doing your work in front of them. And then I think it's also important for them to witness their partner doing the work and taking accountability and really divulging parts of themselves. So there's like such a beautiful space for that. But I, I, I can't imagine um, trying to do some of those things from home with someone else right now because I value my privacy. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. I'd be like in my car doing my zoom 12 step meeting or therapy, (laughs) but but will you, will you go back to the office soon? Because I mean, I have to imagine your clients are like mine where they're eager to get that face-to-face work. Uh, you know, it's really, it's really challenging. I have a small office, so I I need to make sure that I can physically distance and that there's sanitizer. I know the whole thing, you know, the mask, it's a difficult call. I think I will, but I might, I, I, I'm going to probably wait till July is my, is my, and then I'll reassess when July comes. Yeah. What do you think it'll be? What will you be waiting to see? I guess the guinea pigs who go back first. (laughs) 
<laughs> that sounds really heartless, but I mean, I want to, I, I just don't, I want to see the numbers. I want to see if it's safe to really do that. We don't have a vaccine. Um, we, you know, we, we really don't seem to know too much and there's still not enough testing. So I'm apprehensive at this yeah. point. Well, it's interesting because the warm weather's here and that makes people want to go outside and just handling essential things around LA. I'm, I'm seeing more traffic. I'm seeing more people. Definitely. Outside. And I'm not talking even about the uh, protesting. I just mean in general. Yeah, people are people are getting back to life. Yeah, they really are. Like that birthday party. Like I'm, I'm just. I was blown away. It was like there's no pandemic happening. There's just a bunch of people sitting around, you know. Well, that's another. That's another topic we should unpack on another show. Is the powerful meaning that some individuals make out of a birthday where for them it is devastating if it's not honored and celebrated somehow. Well, it was similar to like my son's graduation, you know, like everyone was so sad that, you know, and I, you know, I was sad too, but I, I, it's also important to put everything in perspective. This is 2020 has, has been a, a very rough year. Um, and for everyone. And I, I think that it's, uh, it's like putting those things in perspective. Like you're going to have a different kind of graduation. It's not probably exactly what you want, but you know what you're alive, you're healthy, and you're able to go out and protest. So to me, I feel like it's a win-win, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think you have to contextualize it though. Yes, like that's why yeah. I was saying to some friends upset about their birthday this year. Like you can have it a delayed birthday. You can have it exactly. months after. You can skip a year. Like it's not that deep. You have so many more ahead, God willing, right? Like yes, yes. There's, a, there's a lot of other things going on and it makes perfect sense to me as to why you can't have a birthday. And like, you'll be okay. Make right. some phone calls, exactly. you know? Exactly. All right, Rebecca, so where can people find you? Uh, on Instagram at HungryBecca oh. and my website, which is RebeccaIshida.com. All right. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. It's time to slide into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms. It's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Hi, Dr. Chris. I'm a therapist, and I want to be more social justice-minded. What is your suggestion around hearing clients that say things offhandedly that are, are excuse me, sexually racist, such as, I don't date certain races, et cetera, et cetera, excuse me, or are there problematic things that aren't the actual issue they came in to work on? This is a really interesting and complex question, but I actually value this one. So a few things, you know, as a mental health professional, we have to decide what we deem the definition of mental health to be. And it really is subjective in some form. We don't have a really specified definition. Um, the diagnoses themselves bump into this a little bit, meaning um, we have definitions like narcissism, sociopathy, and these things are all about the devaluing of certain lives and a lack of empathy. And I really do believe that racism, homophobia, any, any, any system or prejudice that dehumanizes or minimizes the value of a life, I do believe falls on the narcissism and sociopathy scale. Now we, it's, you know, we are all on those scales though. And it's a matter of how much, like we are all borderline. It's how borderline are we? We're all narcissistic. How narcissistic are we? We are all on the mental illness continuum. And that's why I just kind of call it the normative continuum. And so, yeah, people that say things that target different groups in my mind, that does not fall under the label of mental health. And so I bring it in, not in a judgmental way, but I say, Hey, let me stop you for a second. 
you know, you just made a comment that implies that you believe certain populations don't have value. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about where that came from. Let's talk about how that doesn't serve you. Let's talk about the impact that that has on other areas of your life, but also on that population themselves. I really do believe that therapists need to be activists as well. And our clients do as well. And that's why a lot of therapy has to be on sending our clients back out into the world to dismantle the very systems, thought processes, and institutions that they're at the mercy of and being oppressed by. Something very empowering that. But as therapists, we have to do the same thing. We cannot think that we are going to cure all of these issues, but more importantly, the causes of these issues, because what brings our clients into our office are symptoms of larger issues. And we can't help change that and dismantle that in 45-minute sessions in our office once a week. We also have to be part of the more macro-level dismantling, and that comes in our office when we challenge our clients to be a part of breaking down that system. And so my, my definition of mental health is rooted in things like authenticity and liberation, but very much so also in compassion. And so, yes, I call that out. I work with my clients on that, um, but my clients somewhat come to expect that. But I, I absolutely fold that in, and I think that's very much an important part of being trauma-informed, but also, like you said, being social justice-minded. I can't, based on my own integrity or ethics, sit around anyone saying violent and oppressive things, whether it's a client, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend. As an activist, I take that very seriously no matter where I'm located. Uh, Sliding into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore with confidence. Thank you for tuning into Loveline. I'm your host, Dr. Chris.